Welcome to Season 2 of the Week Pastor Podcast, where we view Christianity through the lens of vulnerability. Welcome to the Week Pastors Podcast. We are so delighted and grateful that you have joined us for another fresh new episode. I'm excited about this episode. Actually, I'm not excited about this episode. I'm going to be honest because we're going to be talking about pastors who fall. And I'm going to share a little bit later uh, why I'm not excited about this. But uh, this is a real important topic because I do feel like a lot of pastors um, have have really hurt the church. And we're going to talk about that. But Sua, how are you doing? I'm good. I, it's snowing here. And um, I was snowing. running late. I was running late to the podcast recording. I didn't have time to eat breakfast, so I stopped and got a smoothie. But it's so cold that I only was able to drink like a third of the smoothie. And now I'm drinking oolong tea. Yeah. I'm like, nope, no, I can't do it. So I stuck so, it in the fridge fridge and now I'm drinking tea. So the good thing, I do intermittent fasting. So I don't I don't have to worry about eating breakfast. Well, so I can okay, just do my first thing. of all, I don't think I would say worrying about eating breakfast is a high concern for me like i never have issues eating breakfast (laughs) (laughs) like it's a joy for me not um although i started drinking this disgusting green powder in the mornings Um, why i'm trying it out people said it was good for you so i'm trying it out drink the maven shake that's the best powder substance in this world Taylor, if you're listening i know you don't listen the Maven Shake is amazing. I had I bought a bunch of Maven Shakes and I drank it. It was great. But yeah. the problem is I don't like shakes. Oh, so okay. it's not something that I can like. Okay. I can't just dissolve in water. So this is good because all I it's basically just a powder you put in water and you just drink a cup of water. Okay. And um, I never drink like I never make shakes, and so it just didn't make sense for me. Anyways, so, so what's the nutritional value of this green powder? Is there a lot of probiotics in there? Like what? What is why? So are you it's supposed this to thing? take the place of um all the vitamins. That like a vitamin tablet, probiotics. It's a vegetarian plant-based probiotic okay. plus collagen. Well, I might have to and and how long have you been taking this substance? Not long, two weeks. Okay. So however, okay, maybe, maybe in a couple of months you, I'm okonna okay, ask you what you quickly think. Quickly turning into a weird like yes. influencing. I that's why I won't tell you the name of the powder okay. I'm drinking because right, it's not an influencer ad. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'll tell you offline. But I will tell you that I've been drinking this green powder and I usually around three thirty 230 to 3:30 I have this like zombie mode yeah. you, like in the afternoon yeah. where I just blank yeah. out and yeah. I just cannot I'm so tired yeah. like I need to take a nap and then after I started taking this after like day 5 like I don't have this weird like afternoon lull are you it sure might, about that I mean it, so I, it's only been 2 weeks that's why I can't tell you for sure it okay. might be a placebo effect um we'll we'll revisit it in like a month two months okay Okay. Oh yeah. Yeah. You gotta let me know. Okay. So now I gotta, I gotta ask a very serious question. All right. I don't know if you're going to like this question, but you know what? Like part of this is that we have to be willing to go there with our audience. We have we to haven't be... been doing that already, no, but we, yes, but we have to be willing to answer questions that maybe most people would not like to answer or might be a little bit uncomfortable and things like that. All right. I'm scared. So, so I'm going to ask a very serious question. I want you to answer it very honestly. Okay. Um, have you ever, ever, okay? It could be for a second, two seconds, all right? Not like for days or an hour or five minutes, but like it could just be for a second or two seconds for a split second. Have you ever regretted marrying John? All right? Have you ever regretted marrying John? All right? That is it. Like it could just be for, a, you know, it could be like, he didn't put the seat down. You're just like, man, what did I marry him? Like, so it could even be that light or it could be something even maybe more serious, right? Like, oh no, there was this time where I actually regretted marrying this guy. So I just thought like, you know what? 
let's go into your world, my world a little bit. Let's talk about that. It started off. Usually we try to do something funny, but I'm thinking, let's let's get serious. Let's do something serious this time for an opening question. Like, was there ever a time where you regretted marrying John? All right. Like I know the answer, the long of that is of course not, all right. But there are moments sometimes because the of what our spouse does to us that sometimes, sometimes we might have thought that, all right? So now if you didn't, Sua, that's okay. I'm going to judge you because I don't think that's very yeah, normal. Yeah, just add it to my tab of all your judgments yeah, I don't, already. Yeah, I don't think that's very normal. But uh, but anyway, but I will go first since I've had plenty of times to think about oh, that. Come okay, on. plenty of times. If anyone should be having regrets, it should be Jenny. <laughs> yes. Well, I would. So if she, you know, this is one of the things I will actually when Team we when Jenny we, all the way when we do a podcast with our spouses because I still believe that's going to happen one day with our spouse. This is one of the questions I'm going to ask. I'm going to say walk by faith, not by sight. I'm going to say, John, have you ever regretted marrying Sua? Come on, let us know. And I'm going to say, and and the thing about Jenny, she'll be like, okay, so like like which day do you want to talk about <laughs> when I regretted marrying this guy? Because like, there's so Jenny's going to have so many instances where she regretted marrying me, you know, and stuff. But I like to, I would like to believe now that is not the case. But I think definitely there's there was a season where I know it was, it was probably on the regular. It was on the regular. So. I will go first. I would say that for me, I, I I love my wife. I have a great wife. I do think I do have a great wife. She's not perfect by no stretch. You know, she still has areas she Pretty needs to close. work on. Pretty eh, eh, you know what? I'll be honest with you. As she's getting older, she's be- I, I, I'm, she's becoming less perfect for some reason. Why, I don't know what it is. becoming more cantankerous? Yeah, you know, I don't know. Maybe she's hitting more of a midlife crisis, you know, and stuff okay, like that. You are going to, you're going to, I think you're about to fall. I think you're about to become a pastor who falls. Please stop. <laughs> All right. But I do love her. I love her to death. She's great. Um, She's so like, yeah, she cracks me up. Like I I could just, I could have a world of fun just by watch, looking at her and just seeing her like watch something on K-drama on, a, on her iPad. And I'm just like, man, that just brings me joy to just see you. Like you just find so much joy in watching some of this stuff. But anyway, uh, there was a moment. There was a moment, a serious moment, because I know there's little moments here and there, like maybe like, you know, I would regret it. But there are moments. There was a moment where I really regretted uh, marrying Jenny. I thought, oh, this might be the the wrong. I might have made a wrong choice here was when she actually and I shared this in a previous podcast was when she actually, you know, hit me one night, you know, when we were fighting and she actually hit me like a long time into your marriage. That was a long time into like, my marriage. Like that wasn't like right after you got married. Yeah, that was no, like a while I in. never, I never like regretted, you know, like marrying her. You know, incidentally, it was so funny because I did break up with her when we were dating because I thought she wasn't pastor's wife material. Mm, yes, we all know. <laughs> so we I just thought, yeah. But clearly, I have never, never has there been even an inkling of a thought where I have once I married, I ever thought, you know, especially when I became a pastor. Oh man, I should have married somebody more like deeply spiritual and stuff. I've never, never regretted that. But I think the time for me was uh, that was a time that was a time when I was like, oh, man, like maybe I married the wrong person. Um, you know, I regretted, you know, for a moment. And then, you know, we were able to work through it. But, you know, those are the honest emotions that I go through. Like oftentimes, like when I'm going through something that's hard and it doesn't have to be like in my marriage or anything else, I often ask myself, maybe I shouldn't have done this because it's causing me pain. You know, that's just, I guess, a natural thing for me that happens. And then it takes me a little while as I process it and, you know, pray through it, and, you know, share and, you know, just get some input and advice. And then I realized, oh, okay. But I did have an inkling of a thought. It wasn't long, you know, but yeah. like exactly when that happened, 
And for I would say like maybe like a day or two because I was so lost. I didn't know what was happening. I was so confused um, and like scared. I was scared of her. I was legitly scared of her. I think this is because it's And that was crazy. It's also being linked with like the huge trauma that you experienced. Oh, yeah. Oh, 100%. 100%. So in a way, of course, it's about Jenny, but it's so much bigger than just Jenny. Oh, yeah, that yeah, moment, yeah. Which is yeah. why it's so difficult. Yeah. And I think that's it, it, it sort of triggered, you know, and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. And and it was and I gotta tell you, man, like it really hurt. Like she she, She's she punched so me strong. The, she punched me in the back. Right. Like, but like. I was like, man, girl, you like you could pack a punch. Like she's she so, is strong. so strong. She is currently the champion arm wrestler. There has not been a woman, actually, only one woman that took her down. But I'll tell you who she was. But nobody in our church has ever beat her in arm wrestling. She yeah, I was is defeated the like champion. In two seconds. She has beaten women three times her size. I'm not even joking about Which that. Is like an average who, size. She has beaten women who are like super fit, like super athletes. Like she's beaten them. The only person she lost to was this woman in an Africa. She came here from uh she came here to visit once and uh and she was just here and and she was younger and and um she was like six two, six three. Um, I mean, just a different level. And she actually was she Serena Williams. No, yeah. So she, and and I said I said to her, her name was her name was uh, Toto, and I was like Toto. I was like, how like like you're so strong. Like, what did you do growing up? And I said, oh, you know, like you know, I would walk like five miles with like you know five gallons on my head, and I would just be walking and stuff. And yeah, she was she was a different level. I I think she might have been able to beat me in arm wrestling. But anyway, you didn't so, anyway. ask. You didn't ask. So yeah, but you know, Jenny. I mean, that there it actually shocked me because I was like, oh man, that this actually hurt. But I think the big part of it was just dealing with sort of like my past and that kind of rehashed and stuff like that. So anyway, so I that was a moment where I was like, whoa, like did I? This was a, we've been married for a long time, but I was like, I don't know if I don't know if I can move forward in our marriage after this. Like, I just don't think I could do it. So, uh, but of course we did, and we got stronger and better than ever. And you can work through anything, you know, and stuff like that. So, truly grateful. Love you, honey, if you're listening. And uh, I hope I don't get in trouble when you get home because yeah, she usually listens to me on her way home from podcast. Uh, on, on on her way home from work, she usually always listens to the you, podcast. We love you, Jenny. Yeah, Team Jenny yeah. but that was that was the one time. That was the one time. Now, honey, one day if you appear on the show, we will let you share the many times <laughs> you regretted marrying. Giving her me. an incentive to like want to come yeah, on. Yeah, and maybe John too. John, like everyone thinks Sue is perfect on this podcast. The audience, okay? So, John, you gotta like give us some dirt on your wife. So, please, let's do this. Let's do this. Uh, you know, this podcast with our spouse one day. That would be great. So that's mine, Sue. What about you? I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking still about thinking? it. No, you know, okay. Is, so- it, is it because you've never, and they're trying to figure out a situation, like you're trying to like come up with like, you know, you know, you know, I kind of exaggerate a lot. So like, you're kind of like trying to figure out a way where you can no, exaggerate so what it a is, moment. Is that I met John really young. Like, I mean, I yeah. guess you guys also did too, but I met John when I was 17. Yeah. I, and yeah. I, I, I was friends with him a few years before I got married after yeah. like four years of real dating. And to be honest, neither of us are very layered people. Like we're pretty straightforward. Like there's not that much stuff inside. Like we are just who we are. And so I will say after we got married, there's never been a time when I was like, 
wow, I didn't know you were like this. Like never. Mm, mm, and we've mm. been together. And we, we are, it's going to be 15 years of marriage this June. And I have never, be, there has never been a time in our marriage where I was surprised by something that he revealed about himself. And I feel like I pretty much knew everything about him. And well, he knew everything about me before we got married. And so I, I feel like, yeah, there were times when I really was like, I cannot believe I have to live with this. For yeah. example, like petty, I mean, it, it spans petty things to like real things. Like, for example, the petty things are like the number of times that he left the toilet open or up and i fell into the toilet in the middle of the night because you know you're like closing your eyes and you're trying yeah, to yeah, yeah, and yeah, i literally yeah. fell into the toilet oh, that's disgusting multiple times yeah it's so disgusting and but my thought in that is not oh my gosh i'm gonna divorce him it's more like i can't believe i have to live like this i can't believe I have yeah, to live yeah so with that's this. it it's not divorce i never thought about divorcing jenny i just it's more like i regret maybe i, I regretted marrying this person right for um, like a split second maybe you know you know, but I will tell you, um, this is kind of like adjacent to the conversation we're having. John once asked me if we, if I were to be reincarnated, obviously we do not believe in reincarnation, but it was like a hypothetical situation. He was like, if you were to be reincarnated, like, would you want to be married to me again? Um, and obviously I can't lie. So, so I was say. like, no, <laughs> No, and why? Because I want to try something new. You oh, know? you are bad. You are no, okay. bad. Listen, this has nothing to do with how much satisfaction I feel and how much, how great I feel like our marriage is. Like, I love John. I have, like I said, I literally do not regret marrying him. I have never in my marriage ever regretted marrying him. And in fact, as our marriage gets like longer i actually i'm like man like i made a really great decision however however i want to try something new i just want to see what a different kind of marriage man, could be like that's kind of hurtful man okay hey, see, all right. i feel like you you know to be I'm honest for john right now yeah he got really mad at me yeah um, i'm hurting <laughs> for him because i asked but, that same question but we don't do the reincarnation i just said would you do it all over again like if you had the choice to marry me again, would you do it? That's a different question. Okay. That's really? a different question because if I'm reincarnated, I'm a different person. Oh, okay. So like if, if you told me to go back to 17, would you marry John again? Of course I would. 100% I would oh. marry John all over again. I'm hundred percent satisfied in this marriage. I'm so thankful. Like literally yeah. after following after my decision to commit my life and surrender my life to Jesus, second best decision of my life, hands yeah. down. Okay. Hands down love okay but let's say i was reincarnated and born as like i don't know like i was a russian woman or yeah. i don't know somebody in belarus alona. i don't know yeah. alona <laughs> <laughs> that's my tennis that's my tennis instructor's name alona. Okay, like i just okay. feel like i'm just i'm just very you know i'm always a very curious person mm -hmm. and i'm just very curious what another marriage would be like because you know there's not just one formula to a happy True. marriage okay. and i feel i'm just very curious what a different marriage looks like that's also good Hey, so what I what I really want to ask another question is about you and John was like, so you say he doesn't talk much, right? But when he was courting you and you and he called you on the phone, was he talkative? Or was he not? It's me really talking. Talkative? It's me really? just talking at him. Even when he was courting you. I mean, he talked, you know, okay, I, I will mean, say a little bit here and there, but he wasn't like trying to like talk more, you know, than normal and stuff like that. No, he didn't. That's why I I told you the story multiple times. I, I said hilarious. to my mom, I said, Mom, I don't know if I can live with 
a guy like this. Yeah, but this yeah, is but yeah. this is my point is like I w- I was very thoughtful about all the things that I didn't really love about John before I got married. So by the time I got married, those things were not surprises to me because those were things that I had already in spite of those things, yeah, I but, had decided the good outweighed the bad. Well, but yeah, but you, you, I mean, you can always sort of like, you know, like understand that and accept it, but like then to live it is a whole different thing, right? So like, have you ever, yeah, so was there ever like a moment where you were like, oh my gosh, like this dude doesn't talk. Like this is like, I, I knew this going into it, but this is a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. But I feel like I can't complain about that because God already showed me and I made my decision. Okay. I have okay. to live with my decision. Okay. That's Fair also enough. part of my personality Fair is enough. I very rarely, very rarely, not never, but very rarely regret any life decisions that I make mm-hmm. because I kind of feel like once I commit to it, I just got to see it through. This is okay. kind of part of my personality. And so with my marriage, I don't think I ever allow myself to even think regret because yeah. that's just not how I operate in general. Okay. Um, I'm trying to think of like things that I've, so one of another like so after I had Lila, right? After I had my first kid. I was like 27 when I had Lila. Mm-hmm. Um it was a pretty weird time in my life. Like John was a resident and so yeah. he was like never home. Yeah. Um, and I was working at Metro. I had really weird hours because yes, sometimes did. I would work weekends and stuff and evenings. Um my parents are not here, so I was depending 100% yeah. on my mother-in-law to take care of my daughter. It was a really bonkers time, but a very interesting thing recently is one of my friends said to me, Sua, I didn't know it was so hard for you because you never told me how hard it mm. was. Like, and But now I tell her, oh my gosh, it was like 9 out of 10 terrible. Like if 10 yeah. was like the worst, it was like 9 out of 10. Like in terms of my quality of life, it was so bad. But she was like, you never talked about it. And I think this is kind of how I am is like, in my mind, it's like, I pray to God for a child. I receive the child that I asked for. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to sit here and complain about mm. the difficulty of receiving what I asked for. Like yeah. That seemed really backwards to me. And so I wouldn't ever sit there and say, gosh, I wish I had had this baby two years from now. Or gosh, I wish I had not become a... Like, I asked for this. God gave me what I asked for. I'm not going to sit here and complain about how hard it is because that was part of the package. That's great. Man, you're so spiritual. You're not a spir- you're, you're not a spoiled saint. You're a grateful saint, which is the no, way I we should so all I was so grateful because the yeah. the alternative would be God doesn't give me what I asked for and that would right. have been so much more difficult for me. Okay. So I feel like and that's kind of the pattern in my life mostly, not always, but mostly is like if God gave me something that I asked for. If I asked for a husband and God gave me this husband, it seems to me very pointless or meaningless to kind of look back and say, oh, maybe I should have done it differently. This is a great spiritual axiom. <laughs> if you pray for something and God gives it to you, don't ever regret it or complain about it. I think that's a good spiritual axiom. Yeah. Well, actually, in the Old Testament, if you did complain, <laughs> you got in big trouble, right? God mm-hmm. did not like that. So true. That's so true. Well, let's shift our focus to something completely different, okay? I cannot correlate our opening <laughs> question to what we're going to talk about today. <clears throat> One of the things that we're, 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 you know, the media does, an, 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 unfortunately, a, a really good job at this is that they love to highlight the, the sins of pastors and clergy. And I get it because people are fascinated. They want to look at this and they want to see the truth and people like to see truth uncovered. 
there's been so many different things that you hear of pastors uh, of different types of failures and and different things that they've done. You know, we know the controversies that surrounded the Catholic Church yeah. for many many yeah. years uh, because you know priests were sexually molesting children, and yet not the 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 diocese were doing nothing about it. Likewise, that happens in the Protestant Church as well. Um, it's 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 tragic, right? It's tragic when this happens. And I think the hard thing about this is that there's two ends of the spectrum. I think for clergy, there's a there's one side is kind of what we've been doing a lot here on this podcast is that we're just trying to let people know, like myself, like we're just human beings, pastors, clergy, we're just human beings. We're broken, sinful human beings, mm-hmm. ca- ca- capable of sinning just like you. Like there really is. There really is no other. I don't think there's much of a difference in the sense of our, our propensity potentially to sin. All right. And I, I think it could actually be more sometimes. And the reason why I think that is because, man, when you think about the role of a pastor or I can just speak for pastor. I don't know about other clergy, but man, it is like it's a position where you can easily be so preoccupied with yourself. Right. It's a position where you can really fall into deep narcissism. Right. Good think about it, Sua. We get up on a stage or on a podium and we speak about yeah. God's word and everyone is paying attention to us. Everyone is looking at us, right? Listening to what we have to say. That I'm telling you, man, it gets to your head. I th- it can get to your head. Uh, people call you and say, hey, can I meet with you? I need some spiritual direction or counseling. And so I think our profession in many ways, if we're not in a healthy place, can really like feed our egos and that's a dangerous place to be and it can unfortunately lead us into very dark places uh when that's happened so on the one spectrum there is this you know we're just human beings we fall but then on the other end of the spectrum we are called to a higher standard and biblically we are called to a higher standard right and even paul says that we will be judged more harshly because we are leaders of a church right leaders of the church and so obviously, you know, there is that. So there is a higher standard. So there's that balance there. And I think that there's so many things that are happening. You know, you hear different stories, of course, you know, the one like Bill Hybels, we've heard a story about him, Ravi Zacharias. We started this out, you know, in our yeah. very first episode, yeah. you hear these stories and then you hear stories of pastors committing suicide. You know, you hear stories of pastor extorting money, you know, different things like that. And so what I wanted to kind of do today, Sue, I'd love to just kind of get your thoughts, somebody who's a lay person. And um, just kind of talk about this a little bit and also maybe asking a couple scenarios, like if a pastor falls in this and they get caught and perhaps maybe if they really repented and got sought some help, do you think they should get back into ministry or not? So that's kind of like what I'd Mm -hmm. like to do. But any thoughts that you want to add before we start going into some of these questions or scenarios? Okay, don't kill me, but I have to rewind a little bit because I have to add something to the opening question before... Um, I completely misspeak what I actually meant. (laughs) Um, We're going to come back to this. I just need to add that um, my tendency to not share about my difficulties actually has gotten me into trouble with my friends. So I'm not saying that you should never, ever share the difficulties that you're experiencing with your friends. That's actually been a big difficulty for me personally Mm -hmm. because um, my friend have said to me, you know, we want to share in your difficulties in real time. We don't yeah. want to hear about them later. 
Um, and what is it about sharing them and being vulnerable in the real time that makes you makes it so difficult for you to like share that with us? Because the part of being friends is that we're supposed to carry yeah. the burdens together. And yeah. in you sharing them with us, it makes me feel more connected to your life. Yeah. Instead of you five years later telling me oh, I was going through a really difficult time. It's like, what can yeah. I do about it then? Right. And this is actually something that I wanted to make sure I say before we move on. It is very important. And in my in my perspective, it was part of it was, I think, pride. Like, I don't want anyone to see what I'm going through because I don't want to appear weak. But I think in the sharing of the weakness, I mean, it's weak pasture, but also it is part of being friends. It's part of being a connected to people to be able to share the really difficult things in a raw way without having processed it and closed it and moved on and say, this is what happened to me five years ago. And I think in doing that, there is a special strength and connection that develops in your friendship. And it's something that I've had to actively work at practicing because it does not come naturally to me. So Mm -hmm. I just want to say it doesn't mean that I think it's a bad thing if you share your it, there's you can have a thankful perspective and simultaneously also share the difficulties that you're experiencing. It doesn't okay. have to be one or the other. I just Thank wanted you for to that. make sure that's good. I'm I glad you that added that. And it's okay that you know you said it now and you know stuff because sometimes you, we need more time to process. But what you're just sharing now, I think, is so critical as we talk about this a little later about having some people you can just really share with. Because yeah. if you don't have that, then it can really lead to down you know a real dark path, especially as we're talking about clergy, because there are a lot of folks. And a lot of people that, you know, clergy has hurt so deeply. And the last thing they ever want to do is go back to a church or go back to a house of worship because of how deeply they've been wounded. And these, and, and, and I don't, I don't blame them. Honestly, I don't blame them for ever wanting to not want to go back to a church. I don't blame them for that, but it's tragic. It's tragic. And I think this is something that we do need to talk about and, and, uh, you know, just get, this is just our thoughts and our perspective on it. But yeah, so any thoughts on you about about just pastors who've fallen before we get into some scenarios here? You know, I I don't want to be cynical, but I think I will have to be in this situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, There are so many prominent pastors who have, you know, quote unquote, fallen. And unfortunately, the reality of it is there's probably so many more that we just don't know about. Of course not. Um, And... I think the thing that strikes me the most, because I've talked about this a lot, like with my friends and like John all the time, John has to hear about it all the time. My ruminations in the car, like when I just suddenly, you know, like, you know, you mean, you mean so, your monologue, your monologue, yeah, my soliloquy, <laughs> it's not a dialogue, I go it's on a monologue. My soapbox. Yeah. <laughs> no, but yeah, it is literally a, a monologue. <laughs> Love you, John. And with me being like, are you listening? Are you still listening? He's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But um, yeah, 45 minutes later. No, but yeah, I mean, I think the thing that strikes me is um, there's a, there's this pattern of powerful and I'm going to say men because I haven't really I I don't know what it looks like when it's a woman in power. There's been so few women in power in general throughout the history that I'm Mm -hmm. aware of that I'm not really sure what abuse of power for a female authority looks like. At this point, I'm focusing mostly on like men yep. who have had power. Yep. Yep. Outside of the church, it's just this is it, right? It's it's sex, mostly men abusing their power, um, molesting women, molesting those people that w- men molesting boys. Like it's just plays out this way. Yeah. And I think the thing that's striking to me is that it was the exact same way with men in power within the church. 
Um, and I don't really see that much difference in the way power plays out or the abuse of power plays out in a secular setting yeah. or secular context versus inside the church. And yeah. I don't know, was it crazy of me to expect that it would be different inside the church? Um, and not only that, the way it plays out, but also the way it played out when the victims came forward was mm -hmm. also very similar, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and in my mind, it's like, shouldn't the church, isn't the Bible all about like defending the weak and the oppressed and the powerless? Like, isn't that what God's heart is? It's over and over in the Old Testament and the New Testament, right. like defending those who are powerless and oppressed by, you know, uh, abusive authorities. But instead, the church did exactly the same thing by silencing them. And in fact, actually, it was even worse inside the church because they they weaponized the Bible and actually kind of blamed the victims a lot, which I know is something that happens in the world also. But I feel, I don't know, there's something about it that the way that it was no different yeah. was very striking for me. It's incredibly uh, sad. And I, I think one of the things that we can come to the conclusion of is simply the fact that um, power is destructive, whether it's in the church or outside the church. And we've said this in the po in podcast previously, but none of human beings were never meant to have power, right? I mean, power can be destructive. Only God can handle that kind of power. It's, you know, like we use the analogy of Lord of the Rings, the movie. Um, no matter what, anytime that ring got into the hands of a human being, it would just corrupt them, right? And they would have this darkness, uh, because power is so, yeah, it's powerful. And so, you know, I think that's not what we should strive for. And I think, unfortunately, pastors just, we thrive. We love, uh, we lust after power. We want it and we want more of it a lot of times. And it's hard. It's not easy. And and I think there are things within the culture of the church that only makes it you know easier for pastors to have that kind of power, particularly if the pastor is doing well and the church is growing and stuff and the pastor just inev inevitably has just a lot of power. But I think the goal for pastors and clergy is, is that we, you know, we need to live our lives not for power, but we need to want to grow in authority rather than power. And the reason why authority is different is because authority doesn't really happen unless you're willing to sacrifice. And that's really important. Authority happens um, in, in, in a pastor's life when they're willing to just humble themselves and be a servant. You know, and stuff. And that's 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 not an easy thing to do. But I think in some ways, the culture of the church has really um, hindered that. And that's a sad thing, unfortunately, you know. So, yeah. So I think that's a, an unfortunate reality. And I think before we start with these scenario questions, if, if you're a clergy, you're a pastor and you're listening, and this is just my thoughts and and this is not easy. I, I'm going to be honest with you. This is a, a, a process for me, too. And it's really, really hard. But our greatest calling um, as a pastor is to be a servant of Jesus Christ. And that's not easy to do. Because, you know, servant is the same word as slave in the Greek New Testament. And so, you know, when we think of servant, we think, oh, well, that's great. That's a noble thing. But to truly be seeing ourselves as a servant, that means that we have a master, that we have a king over us, and that we need to live our lives the best we can through obedience, you know, and things like that. So that's an important thing. But we need to see ourselves as a servant. And, 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 and the only way we can do that is if we're willing to give up our power. That's really it. We have to be willing to give up our power. And sometimes that's a really hard thing to do. So, you know, um, uh, Jesus calls his disciples in Ma Ma Mark 10 and like, you know, the sons of Zebedee, John and James, they were like, 
teacher, like, you know, we want to be the greatest, like in heaven, like, can we sit at your right or your left? I don't know if you remember that passage too, but it's like, Jesus is like, what? Like, you want to sit my right or my left? You have no idea what you're talking about. Can you drink from the bitter cup of suffering that I'm about to drink? And they're like, yeah, if I can sit at your right and your left, I'll, I'd love to do that. And, and he just says, well, you will drink of it one day, but that's not how you become great. And then he called his other disciples in. He says, guys, if you want to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, if you want to be great, you have to be a servant. You got to be a slave. He says, because even for me, I didn't come here to be served. I came here to serve. And Jesus did that even unto his death. And so it's hard. It's hard. And I think that if, if pastors can do that, the authority that they're gaining, not power, it's much healthier because God is deeply interwoven in it. And there's a deep sense of humility that that is necessary for us uh, as we grow in authority, as opposed to power. You don't need humility to grow in power. In fact, you need a yeah, you need a bit of pride and and things like that to grow in power. So that is hard, and that's and that's not easy. And so if you're listening, and maybe if you have been hurt by clergy in the past, um, not and 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 this is even from like a spiritual abuse, power abuse, you know, things that pastors have done. I've I've gone through that in my own life where a pastor has deeply wounded me from some of the things and it wasn't nothing. And none of that stuff was anything sexual, but it was just an abuse of power, right? Just abusing their power over me. And so, um, you know, I think it's hard. And, uh, and I think, you know, on behalf of all clergy, I do apologize for that, but I do want to just kind of be honest and real. And I, and I think it might be good for you, the listener to just sort of get our perspective and our thoughts on some of this, because this is the stuff that we watch on news all the time. We read this on our newsfeed and different pastors falling and different stuff like that. And if you're going to church, there's a chance your pastor might fall too. Right. And so like, I guess the question is, do we continue to still go to that church or do we leave, go to another church? Like, what do we do? Like, my hope is that you still will know that Jesus is the head of the church. And so because of that, uh, church is always valid and it's necessary in order for Christians to grow. But I, I just want to, I, I wonder if we should continue to follow a leader after they've fallen and they've fallen so, you know, so, so harshly. So Sua, can we begin? Sure. So Sua. Here's one I'm a scenario. Nervous. Yeah, here's one scenario. Yeah, so whoa. a pastor being caught with an addiction to pornography, right? Uh, addiction to pornography. Uh, you know, they got. I, I know a story of a pastor where the pastor's wife actually went to the elder board and said, "My husband has an addiction with pornography. Like he can't stop watching it." Mm. And uh, his wife is the one who turned him in. It wasn't anyone else. It was his wife. And uh, that's hard. That's hard. But um, say that, and that came out in the church. And the story was the elder board removed him. You know, he was no longer able to be pastoring that church anymore. Was it solely based on the pornography addiction? Yeah, there was no, there was no other, um, uh, there was no other, like, you know, he never had an affair with a woman. As far as I know the story, uh, never had an affair with a woman. But also because of that addiction, he was also very harsh on his kids. Like she also shared that he was, you know, very harsh, you know, and stuff like that. But anyway, but yeah, but this uh, the porn addiction. So let's say a pastor, let's say the church, and again, I don't want to, you know, I know you go to a church out in Ohio and people know that, but let's just say you were attending a church and it came out that the pastor had a pornography addiction and the elder board is now discerning and stuff like that. Like, what would you do? Like, first and foremost, like, would you just be like, well, I'm out of here? Or would you just say, you know, the elder board is saying we're trying to pursue pass, uh, path of uh, restoration for this guy? Um, so, you know, hang with us. Like, how would you respond to that for porn addiction? 
Okay, so before I start answering these hypothetical scenario responses, yes. I just want to um, I want to say this, especially because in my Bible reading today, this was kind of partly my takeaway. Nice. Nice. Well, I was, well, I I was reading math. No, I was reading the Old Testament today. Yesterday was Matthew. I was reading the story of Joseph, and um, it's the it's chapter thirty seven. No, thirty seven. It's the one. No, no. It's way before. It's like right in the beginning where he's having the dreams and his brother's <laughs> plot. <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah. Right yeah. in the beginning. Um, and one of my takeaways was um, that the brothers, I mean, obviously there's a lot of elements here, but one of the things was that the brothers were so incredulous because one of the things that Joseph was doing was he was challenging the natural order of how they felt like what it should be. So for example, they're the older, right? And mm. it's kind of like, we're, we're the older brothers. Like, what do you mean we're going to bow down to you? Like, what, why do you get all the preferential treatment? Mm -hmm. Like, this is crap. And so, and what, for me, my personal, one of my personal takeaways was, man, I really need to not look at things based on my instinct or like how things should be, because sometimes the way God does things, I mean, not sometimes, pretty much almost all the time, God's way is very different from the way I would yes. expect things to go. Yes. And so yes. I really need to check myself before I even respond to these scenarios, because so much of what I want to do or how I want to respond is based on my own logic or my yeah. lived experience or the order of the natural world. Yeah. But God does not operate that way. Yeah. And so I do want to disclaim it by saying that these are obviously hypothetical scenarios. I would hope that I would be able to see beyond the actual facts yeah. and pray about it because God sometimes will reveal to me a totally crazy way that I would not have gone had yes. I leaned yes. on my own understanding yes. and expectation. So yes. I do want to just put that out there, yes. but I will be answering these questions based on how I personally would yes. feel in that yeah. situation. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And these so, are just opinions, yes. audience. These are not, you know, this is what you should do. But these nobody's going to put me in charge of these things yes. anyway. It's fine. Yes. Okay. Like I'm completely off the hook because it's not like I would ever have to make these decisions. Uh, but pornography addiction. Okay. At the risk of getting in trouble um, about gender differences and how like there's none. I do think that in my opinion, at least based on what I know, there are differences between the genders when it comes to porn addiction. I'm not saying women don't watch porn. I know plenty of women who watch porn, but out of my circle of friends, there's it's a lot more prevalent that my male friends yes. were more, um, I don't know, more inclined to have yeah. a porn addiction than my female friends. A lot of yeah. my girlfriends, and please send me an email and let me know if I'm wrong, if you are brave enough to do so. Most of my girlfriends, when they watch porn, it's like with their boyfriends for fun or like, you know, to kind of spice up their marriage or like something like that. I, I yeah. don't know any, to me personally, I don't know any female friends who are addicted to pornography. Hmm. Um, I'm sure it's out there, but I personally just don't know. But I do know several several yeah. men who were who are currently addicted to pornography and also were have started like started the addiction to pornography early on and there is something very interesting in my generation because when i the boys of my generation were there was an article about this especially susceptible to porn addiction because the internet came out when i was a young teen yeah. and at that point there were no protective barriers that parents were aware of yeah because the internet was so new. Nobody knew that there was pornography on the internet. Parents yeah. didn't know what the heck was out there. So yeah. my, these 12-year-old, 13-year-old boys had full 
like access to any pornographic content on the internet. Yeah. And it was so accessible to them that it really colored the way they view, they were introduced to sex and porn. And I know, pl- I know several men who to this day, their porn addiction from their teen years still affects their sex life, both in relationships and marriage. Yes. Um, because it was just so in your face and it was just so much. Um, so I'm speaking from the perspective of a woman who honestly doesn't understand. Like, it's a very foreign thing for me. Like, okay. I don't watch porn. I think I watched it maybe once um, mm. for fun in, like, college with, like, a group of people. But it was more like, what is porn? Like, I'm so curious what this mm. is. But I've never, ever felt a need to watch porn. It doesn't do yeah. anything for me. Um, now, if I were to be, to be told that the pastor of yeah. my church had an addiction to porn, yeah. um, I think we would need to know exactly what that means. Like, mm. what does it mean when someone says they're addicted to porn? Does it mean that when they're going through, like, they used to watch porn, then they stopped, and then they yeah. suddenly they fell off the wagon and they watched it again? Or does it mean all the time they're just constantly watching porn? Well, that's what an addiction is. Addiction is it's got to be every day. So the right? thing that that's, that's like whenever there's that, a drug addict or an alcoholic yeah. or something like that, it's every day. They can't just go like like a week without it, you know? It's like, it's, it's not normal. Right. So that's, okay. that's how so, we define addiction. Yeah. It, so the reason why I say that is because I think if they were, if, if this was a habit or addiction, because even with alcoholics, right? When you're an alcoholic one time, in Alcoholics Anonymous, they say you're an alcoholic for your life. Yes. Like you're never not an alcoholic. You're never cured of your alcoholism. You're always going to be an addict. Yeah. And the only thing you can do is treat it by not drinking alcohol because you can't control it. Um, and if you apply that similar idea to the porn addiction, it's one of those things where like, um, if you have a tendency to be addicted to porn, you're that's going to be something that you struggle with pretty much for the rest of your life yeah. because it's, it's, you're drawn to it. Like your sinful yeah. nature is drawn to it. And, you know, not to make this overly spiritual, but, Yes, obviously, when we surrender our lives to Jesus, when we receive Jesus, we are free from all the sinful patterns. But it doesn't mean that they don't tempt us anymore and we don't fall again because it's an everyday thing. We surrender every day. So if this was something that the pastor was engaged in for a long time before and then he had stopped, but he was going through a real crap time for some reason, maybe something really difficult was happening in his marriage. Maybe something was happening in the church. Maybe his life was falling apart and he reverted to it. I don't think that would be the same situation as if this pastor has continually just been watching okay. porn this whole time during his pastoring. Because yeah. to me, that's more like the Holy Spirit should have convicted you of that. You cannot keep sinning over and over again. And the fact that you become so callous that you can't even be sensitive to the like the holy spirit being like what are you doing yeah to me is a concern for a leader yeah. you okay. know no that's that's, that's a, a good, very long answer it's but a very long it's answer, a complicated situation I, I, got, I got a lot more scenarios here okay so we gotta, I'll, let's I'll move through this. them let's no 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 no, no. i i gotta share my thoughts because i'm a pastor oh right that's right um i have an incredible amount of empathy with pastors with porn addictions um i don't know if i was ever addicted to porn but i did watch a lot of porn um, and I struggle with it in my own life. And and so I have a, a deep amount of empathy for pastors who do. Um, my my only the only thing that I would say is that um I would encourage somebody if they like if you came up to me and said, okay, hold on, why did you stop? 
So I'm going to share that. I'm going to share oh, that. Okay, okay. So like if you came up to me, Sue, and said, hey, listen, my pastor has a porn addiction. What do you think? I'm going to, uh, th- I would, I would say, give him a chance. All right. Give him a chance. But here's the things that he needs to be doing. Okay. Because a porn addiction, there's something, any addiction, there's something deeper going on. It's a sign of, of an emotional unhealthiness. And so for me, the way I was able to stop, I got emotionally healthy. And like before I used to just like focus so much on not watching porn. And I think that's, that only makes you want to do it more sometimes, you know, like when you like, it's like, you can't do it. So you want to do it more. What I learned over the years is that when you get more emotionally healthy, those addictions die out. That's key. All right. So that's Mm -hmm. the first thing. So I would say, Sua, make sure this guy is going through a process where he's meeting counseling, where he's going. Because that's essentially why do people in AAA, you know, people that go to these 12-step programs succeed? It's because a lot of times they're getting more emotionally healthy. But the, the other reason why they're doing so well, like if you go to 12-step programs, because they have accountability. That's the key thing. If the pastor does not have an accountability, meaning he is not confessing his sins to somebody, and this is why I think having a soulmate, it's so important because when you have a soulmate, like before I had a soulmate, I had my soulmate, I think the first or second quarter, first quarter of seminary. But like prior to that, I mean, it was like an addiction. And I thought like, oh, you know what? Like when I get married, I'm not going to be addicted to this thing anymore. Like it's going to be fine. But I would say like, it's the same where it probably gets worse. But when you start to have somebody in your life where you can actually confess these things, um, and, you know, like sometimes pride prevents you from doing it. But as a pastor, you start thinking through that. It really helps. It really helps you, you know, and and I and I I, I made sure I had some people that I could confess and share it with. And it made all the difference in the world. And then coupled with that, got emotionally healthier. And that truly, truly helped me to break the power of porn in that way. All right. So I would highly encourage that. And I, I am empathetic towards uh, pastors because a lot of pastors are struggling with an addiction to porn right now. A lot of them. And they just, we just don't know about it. And so if you're listening and you are a pastor, there's a way out. You got to get more emotionally healthier. Highly encourage you to, to pick up emotionally healthy spirituality. Um, go through that or go get start getting counseling, work through some of the things. A lot of it's, it, it's probably a symptom of your past. And that's the reason why you're falling into deep addiction. So that's the first scenario. Okay, hold on. But yeah. what do you mean by give them a chance? What exactly does that mean? Don't leave the Practically church. Practically speaking. Don't leave the church. Yeah, don't leave the church. But give, you don't give... think the pastor should take a, take a break? Oh, absolutely. Take a okay. break. Because yeah, my yeah, point, yeah, because yeah. you can't, if you say take give them a chance, it seems as if you just stay and they just keep going. And they, as no, simultaneously no, no. while they're there doing There needs to ministry. be some form of uh, a process where they're removed from ministry right. for a certain okay. period of time. And there needs to be a sort of a game plan drawn up. And that should be made okay. public to like what the, the elders share with the church. But yeah. But, Do you uh, think but, this applies to also other types of addictions? Like, like maybe substance abuse? Absolutely. 100%. Or like alcoholism? A- any type of addiction. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I agree So it's an that. addiction yes. problem. Yes. Yeah. Okay, second scenario, domestic violence. Oh. <laughs> Come on, we're going to go there. Oh. Um, a pastor who's abusing his wife and his kids physically. Repeatedly. Repeatedly, yeah. I mean, it's not, it's, it's not going to happen all the time, but yeah, but it happens. It happens. But it's not like they lost their mind one time and it was this no. one time and then nope. that was it. it was nope, because domestic okay. violence is domestic violence. It usually it's happens. Habitual. It's habitual, yeah. That's, that, that's the reality about it. So, you know, like, my wife, mm. like, 
my when my, when my wife punched me in the back, that was like one and done. You know, like yeah, I don't happened, think we you know? should say she's a domestic exactly violent domestic offender. violence. I know it so well because I grew up in a home where I saw it regularly. You know, it's it's it never ends. So when the, when the spouse gets angry, he lets out that anger through physical abuse. That's what I'm saying. So okay, can I ask you a question? Yeah. And I know this is a bit ancillary to the topic, but I hope you can answer it because it's really um, puzzling me right now as I'm listening, as I'm listening to you talk and like I'm thinking about this. Um, when we accept Jesus, right, mm-hmm. and we become a new creation. Yes. yes. Okay. Um, you know how you like, like no, I'm, no, no, I'm just no. making sure I don't say anything theoretically heretical. <laughs> no, no, okay. Granted yeah. that one of us has an MDiv and the other doesn't. The other one's about to become a PhD or wait, no, 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 no. M- doctorate, uh, doctor of ministry. May May is my graduation, and, and Sua Sua deserves an honorary doctorate <laughs> degree. <laughs> make sure you carry a picture of me in your pocket. Oh, um, no, but seriously, no, but okay. So I guess my question is. All the praise songs and the Bible verses, they always talk about how the chains have been set free and we are freed from our sinful patterns. We are no longer tied to those. Jesus has prevailed over all, has given us this freedom that we can now walk in freedom. Yes. How do you reconcile that with somebody who... Let's so if we go back to the example of the addiction, right? It makes sense to me if somebody pre-Jesus yeah. walks in these addictions. Yeah. Okay. But post-Jesus, when you're now a new creation, the Holy Spirit lives in you. Jesus with his resurrection power lives in you. How do you explain somebody who would continue to habitually do these things? Um, how how can those two things be reconciled? Yeah, it, it's I mean, it's not that hard for me. I mean, when you think about it, I mean you think about characters in the bible and how much they've fallen you know how much they fall into different but types they were of not sins. habitual i feel uh, like well it was like for example like david right did horrible things but yeah. when he's he's rebuked by the prophet yeah. he's like he repents and i feel like that's to me what i don't understand is the habitual versus the non is if you're open if you're sensitive to the repentance I think that's different from somebody who does it over and over and over again without ever w- thinking that they should repent. Well, just because you repent, it doesn't mean that you're not going to do it again, right? I mean, I mean, it's the, the the thing is, is that you know most people repent of sins, but they continue to commit the same sin over and over again. I've met very few Christians who actually repent and never repeat that sin. See, okay, I'm going to push back yeah. a little bit. To me, that seems like there's no power of Jesus there. I'm not saying you should never ever do it again. But yeah. there should be some difference. If I yeah. say today I'm gonna beat my I beat my wife because I, I lost control of my rage and I or I beat my husband yeah. or I beat my children. Let's say children, because probably more reasonable that would be my children. I can't beat up John, he's too strong. Um so let's say I beat my children, okay, because I got so yeah. angry and I couldn't. And then I, yeah. I felt so convicted by the spirit that I repent. Yeah. Okay. Then two days later I do it again. Yeah. And I repent again. And yeah. then two days later, I do it again. I don't yeah. know if that yeah. really is I'm repenting because repenting literally means to turn around and walk the other way. Yeah. I'm not turning around and walking the other way. And to me, I don't see the power of Jesus displayed there at all. Maybe in two months, let's say I do it again. At least there's some difference in the time yeah. frame and I'm getting better. I'm walking in a better direction. Maybe not at full speed, but I'm still getting there. But if I keep doing the same thing over the same yeah. exact pattern. To me, that I don't see how they're free from that. Yeah, I don't think they are free from it. And that's why repentance should never be done alone. 
you know, hmm. um, it needs to be done in public with somebody else, not in public, but it needs to, that's why you, uh, the, the, the best thing you can do for yourself is, and, and unfortunately Western Christianity, everything is so individualized. You think you're actually repenting when you go to your room and ask God to forgive you something you've done wrong. I don't know if, and you know, you know, I, and I've said this before, but Bonhoeffer writes in his very first dissertation is called Sanctoral Communio. And he wrote that if you're confessing your sins to God alone, just you and God, and you continue to commit the same sin over and over, he said you're not you're not repenting. That's you know, my that's my point. That's you, what I'm asking. He's just you. saying you're just repenting to yourself. And so, yeah, I agree. I would say to the pastor who's doing this over and over again, you're really not repenting to God. You're just repenting to yourself. So there's no power in that. There's power in it when you're actually repenting in the presence of someone else. And that's why I think the Catholics. Uh, have an upper hand in this mm -hmm. area because they do believe in public confession. You got to go to your you got to go to your priest and and confess. That's that's legit, man. You know, and I just think we need to do that often as well. So if somebody is actually doing this, that they need to repent. You know, so if a pastor is physically abusing his wife and his kids, they need to repent. And of course, they right. don't want to because again. There is this power that we have right. and there's a standard that's given to us that we feel like we need to live by and we can't be honest about our brokenness. And if we can just be honest about it, um, I think there is some tremendous holiness and healing that can happen, but unfortunately it doesn't. So, yeah. This is like, you know, you know me and my weird questions. Um, I once asked John, <laughs> poor John, you know, he probably wants to marry a new wife next life. Um because I torture him with these weird questions in the car. And he's like, please, no, God, no more long distance drives. But I once <laughs> asked him, I was like, do you think, because, you know, back in the days of American chattels, chattel slavery, I don't know how to okay. say it. Um, there were a, a lot, in fact, probably most um, white slave owners would have professed that they go to church on Sundays and they're Christian. Well, there were pastors who had slaves. Right. Right. Um. Now, I'm going to give some leeway here. Um, I guess there would have been some slave like owners who treated their slaves properly. I mean, I'm not sure because I wasn't there yeah. and I don't really know enough about the history. But we also know that a lot of yeah. slave owners really, really abused and oppressed yes. their slaves. Yep. Their enslaved people. And I said to John, I said, do you think that given that that was such a cultural norm back in the day, there could have been somebody who was actually a Christian person who actually has Jesus in their heart, who could have actually done this? Like, so I guess my question was, how much is excused by the normativeness of the culture? Yeah. Because everybody else is doing yep. it, right? Yep. For example, I can't sit here in 2023 and judge a person in, you know, 1800 or whatever in yep. apples to apples because it's yep. not a same scenario yep. Yep. like yep. i know yep. things that they were not aware of it's illegal now whereas it wasn't back then and so i don't i'm not saying that i would not have done that or whatever because i don't know i don't i don't know what it's like to live in that kind of cultural norm but my question was is there something personal that god like the spirit would convict you of if you keep if you keep demeaning the image of god in another person is there something that so and i guess my question with the same thing with this scenario of like a pastor who keeps abusing their children and wife is there an, is, do you think there should be something that is a personal conviction where god is not happy when you demean his image in another person and 
if you keep doing it and there's no stopping, don't you think there's something broken there? Yeah. Or no? Yeah, of course. Of course. You know, it's it's the reality of of every day we're faced with a choice. We have to make a choice every day, uh, whether you're a pastor or not, is that are you willing to surrender your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? And um, some days people say yes, some days people say no. When it's no, then you're the master of your own life. And I think pastors fall into the same thing. So, you know, for the sake of time, let's just say this. Right, every scenario that I give, they've been caught. It's been known. The elder board, the church, the denomination are going towards a path of restoration. Okay. Like that's all been communicated to you. Would you stay at the church? Okay. That's no. so let's. No, you would leave if it was domestic violence. No, you leave. because it's you're hurting someone else. And I think it's a different it's a different yeah. category from hurting yourself. Okay. Very good. Yes. Um, I would I would probably concur with that as well. I think that's a whole different level of Well, you also have a whole Yeah. I think it's uh I think when you're hitting and you're physically there's there's something really dark about your anger mm. that you cannot control. Because that you feel like the only way you can control your anger is by physical violence. That's yeah. what abuse is. Like, that's what, like, that kind of domestic abuse is. That if you're hurting the people that you love the most, that you're supposed to love the most, and you're hitting them in yeah. that way, yeah. I, I would probably advise you, Sua, and I would also say, I have to leave this church. And maybe one day, who knows, like, the restoration process will come back, you know, and it'll be okay. But I have a feeling that if you're actually physically harming somebody and you are clergy, I don't think, um, you know, you should be forgiven, all that stuff. But in terms of coming back into ministry, I don't think so. I, I, I think I think you have to you have to take some serious time right. off, serious time off. I don't think they Rest should come back. Yeah. Restore and all that. Go stuff. find yeah, a different job. Go ever. be an accountant. Yeah. You know, no. like. Honest, honestly, I agree. And, you know, but I'll trust the denominations and, and the churches and the elder board to make that decision on their own. But for me personally, I would leave the church too. I will leave the church too. Yeah, I, we agree. And for me, it's a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Third scenario. <laughs> sex How many different ways? Is this like 101 ways One, for Pastor two, three, to fall? Four. I got four more. I got four. So we got to go fast here. <laughs> okay. okay. We got to go fast here. Should I just do yes or no? Uh, well, you know, listen, sex with prostitutes. Okay, sex with prostitutes. Jeez, oh, where okay. do you get these questions? Listen, I'm a pastor. I know this. I'm in my own, I know my profession. So so here's what so this is my thinking. Oh, and and I could be completely different from you, you know, on this. You go first. Okay. They're they're having sex with a prostitute is bad. Of course, you know, you know, it's bad. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, it's awful in every way. Oh gosh. But, We're gonna get some hate mail. I know, I know. But it, it I think as a pat, it's a little different than actually having an affair with somebody that you have a relationship with. Okay. Now, I, I'm not talking about the justice aspect of this, that when you have sex with a prostitute, it's an it's an injustice. Of course it is. 100 percent 100 percent agree with that. But I, I don't know. I think, you know, I don't I, I you know, I don't have any, I don't have pastors that have done this that I know that I'm very close with, but I think it's easier to break having sex with prostitutes than somebody you actually have an emotional and physical affair with. Right. So for me, if it's, if I were to say the lesser of two evils, I would say that that would be the lesser of the evil as opposed to, you know, being able to break that evil, not saying it's a lesser, of it, but it's easier to break that evil than the evil of, you know, committing adultery on somebody, on having like somebody in your church. 
You know, and that happens a lot. Pastors, most affairs that pastors have, it's with somebody in their congregation. That's the sad reality of it, right? But I think it's easier to break the evil of not have, having sex that you pay for as opposed to actually having sex with somebody you actually have feelings for. So anyway, what what would you uh what would you what would you do? Uh I pastor am such not so not the right person to be asking these questions. No, no, it's I okay. I tend to overanalyze everything. You don't have to overanalyze, um, but your pastor got this came out elders the denomination were working to restore this guy. He's 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 going to be on temporary leave, blah blah blah. What would you do? Again, you it's a one-time thing. Uh, it no, wasn't no. like usually, he was like a VIP member no, 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 of the no. local no, 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 no. prostitute Sua, joint. When, when this happens, usually it's 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 happens. He got caught. That means they've done it for a while. They could have done it for years. It's not a one and done kind yeah, of I a thing. Leave. If it was a one and done kind of a thing, they would have never gotten caught. The reason why they got caught is because they do it regularly, right? Yeah, I would leave. So, you would you know, leave. Yeah, I would leave. Okay. Let me. Can I tell you something? And you, okay. again, I might get hate mail for this too, but I have to say my piece. I would. I would I would question that guy's salvation. Why? Because okay, here's why, right? <laughs> I only know my personal story. <laughs> I'm going hard here. Stop being a Pharisee girl, okay? No, I'm just I'll joking. tell go, you go. why. I'll tell you why. <laughs> so, if it's a one time and the last time yeah. he did it was like nine years ago, five yeah, years yeah, ago yeah, even, yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. would not. Okay. But if he's been doing this for five yeah. years over and over and over yeah. again, okay, I wouldn't question his salvation, but I would okay. question that he's living, he's walking with Jesus, like at all. It, which he's is why I would which is why I would leave the yeah. church because I okay. don't know how I could be under the authority okay. of a pastor okay. who's literally like their job is to point us to Jesus. And if he's not walking with Jesus, what are they pointing us to? Yeah. You know, okay, fine. I'm not questioning their salvation. I take that back. <laughs> Um, however, I think that <laughs> I got so mad. Okay, I, I see you. You're like, you're I going at it right now. I'm so mad. I take that back, but I feel like this person is clearly not walking with Jesus. Yeah. And I think a person who's not walking with Jesus has no business being a pastor okay. who's supposed to be leading lost sheep. Okay. 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 I would stay. Now here's the reason why. Um, I, I would, I would, I would. I would give a little bit of, I don't want to say credit, but at least a, a, a little bit of sense that this pastor knows that he cannot, at least he knew, he knows he cannot be having an affair with somebody in the church, right? That he is not willing to enter into a relationship with a woman and then fall in love and then, you know, have sex with a woman in church because that's going to be a relationship that's going to be tough to break. I think if this person is just going out you know, you know, and and they're paying for sex. I think that's a practice that potentially can be broken because part of this is that you know, and this is something that you know, I I've I've struggled with in my own life, right? And I've shared this publicly on on our podcast. But ministry is hard, man. It's it can get really dark, and you can really struggle and enter into that dark side. And it's not just with what people do to you, but it's sometimes like you know, we have. You know, it's unfortunate and I wish I wish I could say that, you know, it shouldn't affect any pastor. But then when you look at a pastor that is doing so well and they're just excelling at everything they're doing and you feel like a failure, it leads you into a very dark place. It leads you into an incredibly dark place. And then you start to figure out like, OK, what can I do to try to numb this pain or whatever? So I would say, you know, you know, burnout, you know, happens. Pastors are burning out. 
you know, it's the, 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 the role of a clergy is the highest burnout rate of any other profession in our world. Right. And so that's how difficult this position is. So I understand, I have a little bit of empathy if they're heading towards a path of restoration, deep accountability, all that kind of stuff. I, I have, I have a bit more, I would stay, I would stay. That would be my answer. Okay, to hold that. on. I'm going to push back. Okay. Yes. Because I, I think it's a very slippery slope when we start comparing degrees of sin yeah, um, and saying, well, yes, he, he hit his wife, but at least he didn't hit his children. Like, I feel like yeah. a sin is a sin. And if you slept with a prostitute, you slept with a prostitute. Yes, yeah. of course, maybe if you are going to compare in terms of like world, like standards, like it's less offensive than sleep, having an emotional fear because there's another yeah. whole emotional component. But at the end of the day, he did something that was displeasing and that yeah. God would not have told him to do. And to me, again, at the risk of sounding like a Pharisee, there's something weird to me if you keep doing the same thing over and over mm. and you don't feel um, this. And I know you said repentance is not a one-time yeah. thing. Yes, but you're doing it over and over again. And at that point, again, I'm not saying this person should be left alone. I think this person needs like real yeah. intervention and but you loving go people to, to help anymore. them. Yeah. But I don't think this person has any business being a leader in a church because being a, a pastor, like you said, is a huge responsibility, huge. You know, it's probably one of the most important actual positions because you're literally pointing people to Jesus. So, so yeah, but suppose he has a really unhealthy marriage with his wife. Suppose his wife doesn't want to have sex with him and they haven't had sex in a long time. Like these are some scenarios I'm, I'm just trying to throw out yeah. um, through that, you know, um, and they decide, you know what, I, I, I need I need an outlet. You know, I got I got to do that. So. Anyway, so in what way is this person serving as a like what? So my, I guess my question yeah. is like, what are they then doing? So you might say, all right, they have this crap part of, part of their personal life yeah. failing in this way. But look at all the other stuff they have to offer. What is all the other stuff they have to offer? The church, you mean? Like the so what? Is, what would be your reason for for defending well, that this if, pastor if, should come so back? What my, do they have to offer them? So his, my, my his congregation. Well, my belief is this that. Um, as long as he's not praying on his congregation, you know, like he's not praying on, like he hadn't, he doesn't have a history of praying on his con, like he doesn't have a history of seducing women in his church and having sex with them. And it's somebody from the outside, like, you know, hiring, you know, cause there's, you know, like for guys, there's no relationship when you mm -hmm. hire a prostitute. Mm -hmm. So it's strictly just a physical thing. So for me, I'm more empath I'm definitely more empathetic towards that. And I do believe pastors should be restored. They should be, they should, we should try to restore them. And I think we should give them another chance. That's just my thoughts. My thoughts is that give them a chance, see what happens. As long as they have that kind of accountability, uh, they've gone through a, every denomination has a restoration process when 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 stuff like this happens. And if they go through it and the denomination feels okay, well, listen, you know, they've gone through this process, they have accountability now, they're in a good place. They can do this, you know. Um, I I would be I I would be open to it. Now, if they're not doing those things, they refuse to do it, but they still want to minister. Then no, that is not. You know, it's not. Gonna what float. would prevent you from telling them? You know what? Clearly, this ministry is so difficult. The burnout rate is crazy. It's like number yeah. two worst job after like tree cutters or whatever. You always yeah. say this, loggers, right? Loggers, uh, <laughs> loggers. Like we're gonna die ten years. Who before use dynamite like TNT yeah. to blow up trees? Yeah. 
Um, what would be then like your reason to say, okay, but mm-hmm. you should still continue in the ministry? Yeah. Like I'm asking you, like is yeah. versus yeah. like, why don't you go and it's, pursue a different career path? Well, it's very easy. It's very it's the calling, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if God calls you to be a pastor, that should supersede any sins that you do in some sense, if you can be restored from those sins, right? It's the calling at the end of the day. So I don't believe every pastor is called to be a pastor. And that's okay. the reality. I've come in contact with someone like clearly, I don't think you're called mm-hmm. to be a pastor. Mm-hmm. I think in that situation, absolutely, Sua. Like you should just walk away, you know, walk away and not be a not think about. And I've said this to some pastors. I said, you know what? I'm gonna be honest with you. I don't really know if you're called to be a pastor. And I know that's that comes off incredibly hurtful, but I'm just gonna be very honest. But if God calls you to be a pastor, that's the calling he's placed upon your life. Then you have to do whatever you can to keep going. Now in the and 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 live that out to the day you die, right? Because that's God's called you to do yeah, it. Yeah. But but if you've fallen and you've gotten caught and you've and you've and you go out and you have sex with prostitutes, you go to the massage places and stuff like that. Um, if you're willing to go through a restoration process, I mean it's the gospel. Everyone should be forgiven and given another chance, right? I think we should. And I do know that there are pastors who've done that and they've gotten restored and they still do some really great work for the Lord. You know, it's not that once he's done this, it's over. But I do know that there's there's cases where pastors have been restored and they're doing well as a result of it, and they're able to faithfully live out their calling. And so I think God's calling upon our life is huge. But yeah, we should be held accountable. But I seem to feel like that is to me, at least for me, the way I see it, um, I would still stay as long as that person has gone through the pathways of restoration and they have that kind of accountability. I would stay. So and you think would you would you tell the wife to stay in that marriage? That's entirely up to her. I would, I would not, I would not make that decision. Um, if she asked for my opinion, and if I knew the pastor yeah. well, you know, that's that's one thing. But it, it, that that's a whole loaded question, um, you know. But uh, but I do feel, and I do know that many marriages still do uh, still survive and actually do even better sometimes. Not always um, after the after the pastor has been restored, right? Gordon McDonald's the best example of that. Right. And Gordon McDonald continues to do amazing things for the Lord, you know, and for God. And he's done, written like 30, 40 books and, you know, writes articles on Christian discipleship, you know, and he committed adultery on his wife, you know, and they've been restored. I know a lot of pastor stories where pastors have been restored and it's been good. It's been good. But I also know that there are stories, of course, that didn't end very well. So anyway, yeah. Next. Um, <laughs> uh, sex with somebody in the church. Come on. We already know this. What? We've already kind of hit this one. No, no, no. So yes or no for you then. Quick. First time? No, no, multiple times. You know what? Even if it was the first time, I might say, oh God, this is really hard because I'm thinking about you. Like in all of these questions, I'm thinking like, what would I do if this was you? <laughs> yes. <laughs> because it's it's much, it's a different answer if it's like a personal yeah. relationship versus just like an imaginary pastor yeah. that i'm imagining yeah. yeah yeah um you know oh my gosh i'm 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 gonna get crucified for this but i think it was a first offense i might stay okay um but if, if it was it, a but multiple, how about multiple i would definitely leave because i think that's a predator i i agree with you on that yeah 100 i think if it was one time um and they were caught uh and they went through a proper level of restoration i think they need to be removed from the church for mm. quite quite a bit of time mm-hmm. actually i don't think they mm. should be entering back in like after three four months no that's not they got to really go through some things but if this was a pastor who's done it multiple times i would leave because yeah. i don't want my wife to be the next person 
right? That I'm is serious. not the answer. Oh my gosh, that was totally a plot twist. I did not expect yeah, that answer. Like, I'm like, my wife's hot, man. Like, God forbid, you know, because here's the things what here's the thing that I've learned, you know, um, and that I that I know pastors who are able to seduce women in their congregation, they do it reg on the regular. They're very they have a way of flirting. And I don't know, they, they have a way of using their power to do it. I mean, I've heard terrible stories and I'm just like, what? That guy? There's like he's ugly, man. Like, how is the world is that happening? But they just have a way and they're they're just able to seduce. And so I feel like that's really deep and dark. And I would I would leave the church too. But, but it, was it was an a, it was a consensual affair. It was yes. not like oh, a yeah, one sided abuse. No, no, no. It consensual. was not a minor. It was no. a consensual consensual. Okay. Consensual. Okay. All right. So we agree on that. I got two yes. more and we're done. Okay. This one I think is going to be pretty easy. Uh, <laughs> pedophile. Oh. Let's hear you. What do you mean by pedophile? He has these thoughts or he's actually acting them no, out? No, no. When, when you get caught, you never get caught because you have thoughts. Unless you confess them. No, yeah, yeah. But you, you get caught because you've actually yeah, done no. something. No, hard pass. Yeah, you would leave the church, right? Yeah, hard, yeah, me too. Hard, and I actually, I think, I, I honestly believe that this is probably in a part where, um, at that point, I don't, I don't, I don't know that a denomination should try to seek restoration from a pastor who actually is attracted to children and has done it with children. Yeah, no, no. I think they should just remove them permanently and never even offer them to come back that's oh, that's absolutely just, not. I'm, I'm being harsh on that absolutely not. but children are children they are the most impressionable and and you know it's one thing if, if a pastor is seducing a woman an adult but when you're seducing a child and you do i mean it's just it's 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 the it's it's awful it's awful so i i yeah, agree no with way. you there's just no way i think they should be removed immediately they should be going to jail yeah yeah they will go to jail they will go yeah, to jail they should they go, go to prison to yeah okay. how about this one embezzling money oh that one's so common taking offering money i know that happens quite a bit yeah so what would you do there you know the pastor of the first church i ever attended embezzled money okay in korea it was really sad actually in korea yeah. this is a problem that happens a lot like... in korea that happens i i know a guy that i met in korea about probably about 10 years ago and this guy was a wealthy man and 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 uh, his job, at one of his callings, he said that God is calling me to put senior pastors in jail. Holy and so moly. He, so he has a legal team that investigates churches, big churches where mega pastors, mega church pastors have taken money and then he and then he prosecutes them. I mean, if they're scared that there's clearly something wrong. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, Although, yeah, do you yeah, yeah. Do you remember? Do you remember when Metro was like, a semi-church plant and you guys didn't have like an official um protocol for how to like count offering mm -hmm. wait can i say this out loud yeah john and it. gregory kim and george felice the three of them <laughs> used to just grab all the offering bags yeah. baskets and just go into a room the three of them and just yeah. count well, better nobody than me would observe it, them, but it's better than me counting it, you know. So right, but my point is, you yeah. know, we weren't like very rich back then. Yeah, like, can you imagine if like the three of them had conspired and they were just kind of like, <clears throat> you know what, the three of us will just take well, like this I gotta say, those are three. I would say this: those are three men with high level of character and integrity. So it's okay. But we, yeah, since then at Metro, we do get audited every year, every other year, and then we get uh, our books get reviewed every every 
other year. So it's every year a CPA firm is looking at us and they have put in a control system where it's so good and there's no way that that could happen uh, going forward for us. And most churches don't have that. But Sua, if there is a pastor who embezzled money and that happens so often, would you leave the church or would you stay? Yeah, but okay, but... Oh, you know what? I sp- I misspoke. It was not the pastor who embezzled money. It was the lady who counted the offering. Who embezzled oh, okay. The no, money. I'm talking about pastor. But she had cancer and she needed money, and that's why she okay. stole the money. Um, it's a very sad story. Pastor embezzling money. You know, I don't know what it is. I want my instinct is to say I I'm not coming back. Like I'm leaving and I'm yeah. not coming back. I'm trying to figure out why. Like that is my instinct. Um, well, you know what it is is because like. Well, it happens in so many churches, right? But it's like we're called to be a servant of Jesus, not to make money and profit off of, you know, and and people give money to the church in hopes that they're giving it to God and it's going to go to good things. And if the pastor is stealing money, then it's, you know, it, it's it's hurtful. I mean, that happens know, so many times. But, you know, it gets a little bit murky, though, because there are definitely churches like there was. A couple of months ago, this hilarious, not, it was actually not hilarious. It was actually terrible, but people thought it was hilarious. Um, a pastor from like a church who it was on TikTok and he basically got all angry and was rebuking his congregation because they didn't buy him a fancy car. Yes. Um, did you see this? No, I, I know there's a pastor who, who, who told his congregation he's a brand new plane. Okay, so exactly. So it's like <laughs> in the vein of that. He's like, I don't um, need a plane, but I, but I got one. And I need a new one. <laughs> yeah. No, but I guess it's it's kind of like it. I don't know. I, I guess it. I guess it's like the line is very blurry there. Yeah. Um. Between obviously, yes, one of them is like a literal. It's illegal. It's a crime. Versus if a congregation votes and decides out of their own will yeah. to buy their pastor a fancy private yeah. jet, that that's yeah. different. But I feel like the heart of it is kind of the same because yeah. you're taking advantage of people. And completely um, flipping the role of what a pastor should be upside down, yeah. which is like you said at the very beginning, it's an authority um, position. It's a servant, not a power position of take, take and give me like what I want. It's not greed. So yeah. I don't know. There's something about this that makes me be like, I'm not, I would leave. Well, yeah. You know, but it, it's, it's really sad because I mean, when you think about it, like there are a lot of churches and a lot of denominations and different, you know, places where they do believe that it, you know, that pastors should, you know, live lavishly and all that kind of stuff. And listen, uh, I disagree with that. I'm just going to be honest. That's my conservative view. A uh, part of that is because when I look at Jesus, he lived nothing like that. He could have, if he wanted to, but he didn't, he lived a very simple life. And I think that's important, but I'm not saying pastors, uh, should struggle. I also do believe that pastors should be paid well. Mm-hmm. They shouldn't, you know, sometimes they embezzle money because they're not getting paid anything. Right. And they can't survive on that salary. So I do think churches have to stop taking advantages of pastors and they have to realize, okay, you know what? What is an appropriate salary? And there's so much material out there that'll tell you what the average salary with the size of the church and all that stuff and where you live, how much pastors should be making. Like there's so much resources out there. So I do think that's important too, because sometimes maybe pastors just they got to feed their family and they just, you know, they want to send their kids to school and things like that. And they just can't do it because they're not getting paid. They're not getting paid a salary. So a good salary. So I think that's important, but I would say this, I would stay only, only, and this is if I wasn't a pastor, um, as long as the denomination got involved, the elders got involved, but also that the church going forward would hire a CPA company to do an audit every year. Like that would have to be, if that wasn't there, 
and there was no controls and there was no systems, then I would leave. I would I leave the like, church. You know what it is? I'm thinking in these scenarios, like if this person, if this pastor was caught doing this and then they went through this whole process of like restoration and then came back, could I actually look at them and be like, yeah. I can respect you as my leader? Yeah. And I don't know something about the embezzlement. I feel like, I don't know why it's worse than a one-time affair. I know why. <laughs> I'm like thinking, it's just, they're taking some money, man. What's <laughs> I don't know. I, I guess it's for me, it's because it's like a mass betrayal versus like a one. I don't know. It's okay, like, okay. I don't know. Hey, I have you're to think entitled. About you're entitled to, think to your about thoughts. I'm not yeah, sure you, no, why. no, no. You're absolutely yeah. entitled to Maybe it. Maybe I just really I love it. money. No, 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 no. I think what you really love is the notion that pastors shouldn't love money. You know what I'm saying? Like Jesus says, you either serve money or you serve me. You can't serve both. Gosh. And so maybe if a pastor does embezzle funds, they're just loving money, and that's tough, right? And and I think I and I I'm I'm also empathetic towards that, especially if the pastor is really struggling and they end yeah, up doing yeah. it. But I do think there needs to be some control set up, and there needs to be an outside audit every year that they're willing to do, um, so that the church members can trust that everything is fine, that there would be high level of control. So anyway, that would be it. So before we end, yes. Um, and this is this is so much fun, by the way. It's, it's a little stressful. I'm sweating. My armpits are. I can see my how, armpits are so I see sweaty. how stressed you are right I'm now. So That's why it's so fun. I, I take these things very seriously. I know you do. I, I mean, I questioned do. somebody's salvation at one point. So <laughs> I it's like I question. They're going to hell. They're going to hell. Damn it! But You're anyway, like it's, it's snowing outside, and I'm sweating like crazy right now <laughs> in the sweating. house. <laughs> it's the oolong tea. I should have gone yeah. with my smoothie. Um, no, but. Okay, so you're on fire today, by the way, not um, I am not taking back any of the things that I said. I still yes. think that yes. teachers, leaders, pastors absolutely be held to yes. a higher standard. I yes. know you said that that higher standard should be transparency. And clearly yeah. it goes it's in line with what we're talking about yeah. today. Yeah. Um, but I also want to say and this is, again, not taking away from anything I've said. I also do think I think about, you know, you know, Beth Moore. Obviously, everybody of knows course. Queen Beth. Yes. Um, she said once, she tweeted once, like maybe a year ago when we were when they were talking about um the SBC and their issues yep. with racism. Southern Southern Baptist Convention, mm -hmm. by the way, if those she who said, don't know what that is. Yeah. She said on her Twitter, she said, I'm paraphrasing and I'm gonna butcher this, but she, the gist of it was that on the day of judgment, not only with the will the pastors who stayed silent on the topics of racism be judged, mm. but also the congregation that silenced them. That's right. right. That's and right. So Come on, I sometimes girl. think about that because I think it's an interplay in many ways. Mm. I'm not saying that pastors are not held to a higher standard, but I think that it would be very remiss of us to think that the congregation does not have any power over our pastors. Yes. Um, you know, so Thank I you. feel like once again, not excusing pastors for their failings, quote unquote, but I think as a congregation member and as part of the church, which is all a body, we also need to understand and be very cognizant of the power that we have. And what kind of power is that? Is it is it a healthy like, you know, is it healthy or are we once again trying to control our leaders yes. to do what it is that we want yes. for them to do? And are is it what we're doing is creating an image of a pastor that we want and forcing the pastors against their will to fit that role and taking advantage of the fact that they need this job or they need the money or they need whatever because it's their calling. And I think it's a two-way street. Again, not yes. an equally two-way street, but nonetheless, it's a two-way street. And I do think we are not excused as a congregation member to have 
any onus on this whatsoever. And, and, and Sue, I just really want to thank you for that because I do we need do need to end with that because if you're a pastor and you're listening, I think you know you you might be feeling like incredibly attacked right now. Um, I would say also it is a two-way street because churches and church boards have done an mm-hmm. incredible injustice mm-hmm. at deeply abusing and wounding pastors. Yeah. And I'm not saying that that's always the reason why they go out and do these terrible things, you know, and stuff. But I will say that sometimes it can be one of the reasons why, because they're struggling so much and because they're not, you know, they're not being cared for and loved and, and also just checked in on. And as, as a result of it, it's, they struggle because we're just as human as possible, human as you guys are as well. So I think it, it can be incredibly hard. The last thing I'll just say is this, um, for clergy and for everyone who's listening, I just can't stress how important it is to have a soulmate, somebody you can share your soul with, that somebody that you can regularly share your darkest areas to your humanity, that you need somebody to journey with you in that. Because when you can do that, it will help you to stay accountable. You'll be stronger, not falling into those dark places where you can potentially do horrible things to hurt the people you love the most. And so I do want to encourage you guys to really, really think about that. If you don't have a soulmate or somebody where you can share like that with, you only need one person. Um, I want to encourage you to really in 2023 to make it, make it a point and pray through it and also see if you can be intentional about finding somebody and asking if they would be willing to be uh, your soulmate. And we did a podcast on that, like in the first season. So you can go back and listen to that episode if you'd like. Episode two. Episode two. There you go. Episode two. So you can listen to that if you'd like. And I think that can help you. So I want to thank you guys so much for listening. Sua, thank you for sharing your honest thoughts. I'm sorry that your armpits are sweating, but this was a good one. We needed to talk about this because I think a lot of people are struggling with clergy that fall. So thank you again for listening. If you have any thoughts, any comments, please respond on our social media, on the comment sections, or you can send us an email. You can get all that information at weekpastor.org. Thank you again for listening. Tune in again next week. Take care. Bye.